This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dina Malandraos. Thanks for listening. You are listening to the first of a two-part podcast featuring the Chinese artist and activist Ai Weiwei. It was recorded on October 5th, 2017, when Columbia GSAP and the School of the Arts hosted him in a live conversation at Columbia's Miller Theater in New York. I was joined by Carol Becker, Dean of the School of the Arts, and we spoke with Ai Weiwei on the occasion of his ambitious citywide installation, Good Fences Make Good Neighbors, organized by the Public Art Fund, as well as the release of his feature film, Human Flow. The discussion spanned many topics, including his thoughts on education, from his experience as a student in New York to being a teacher today, the way his work oscillates between art and architecture, and the role of the artist as an agent of social change. Thanks for listening. I am very happy to have a chance to, to be with uh, you, architecture and art. This, these two things, I, pra I practice both of them. And uh, I should say I'm, uh, I'm kind of in love with both practice. And you know, it's about have fantasy and also about to have a skill, to have a rational, practical thinking, but uh, also to, to make it happen. You know, this is a, it's very important to, to make something happen and uh, to add something to, to our life. And uh, for, for this project, Good Fences Make Good Neighbors, it's a project that happened uh, a few years ago when Public Art Fund invited me to, to do a project. So I was hesitant. I thought uh, New York City is such a uh, beautiful city and uh, it doesn't really like need a, a public art to be in the city. Very often we see a sculpture or we see, uh, I see something there, I always think, oh, it's, it's too much, it shouldn't be there. And, and, uh, so, but ended up, I have to do a project in the city. Uh, the city, I, I, I spent about 10 years here in the 80s, between 82, end of 82 to 93. That time I was a student, just like uh, most of you here. Well, I consider myself a student, but uh, I actually only studied for about a year. Uh, don't last tell, year, don't tell I, 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 yeah. I dropped out from Parsons. It's a nice school, but very expensive. And, uh, <laughs> and it's kind of like a kindergarten so for me. So I... <laughs> so, of course, I come from a communist society. My parents uh, doesn't have any kind of support. To, to, if I, I never t tell them how expensive that is. That will bring, give them a heart attack, you know. It's not possible to understand the tuition in here, you have to pay so much. I still don't understand it, you know. In many, many nations, you don't have to pay. But why in this, this nation you have to pay? So I guess maybe some kind of magic psychological thing was set up with young people you know, uh, the conscious about money and the later have to make money to pay it back, yes. all those things, huh? So, but I, I never understand because I never finished my school, I just dropped out. But by dropping out, I become a, 
what is an illegal person to, to stay in the city, but the, uh, in New York there's no problem, a lot of illegal <laughs> <laughs> aliens here, so it doesn't make me feel bad. <laughs> and I, I feel uh, liberated, you know, only because I am not of this part of this capitalism uh, machine, you know, you, you just drop out. And uh, so, well, well, you, come back to why I do this You just project. dropped out, because yeah. you, you, you were able to continue as an artist without Well, you structures. can always call yourself uh, as an artist if you drop out. Because you tell people you're an artist, people will not even ask you the second sentence, you know. <laughs> it's not polite to ask somebody already said he's an artist, you know. So, yeah, you can, you know, you're so spiritual, you know. <laughs> so I spent about 10 years wandering around and, uh, you know, just pretend I, I go to all those galleries and museums and standing in front of a, a painting for like maybe 10 minutes. But I don't know what's there. <laughs> really, I, I cannot understand. The wall is so beautiful, the lighting is amazing. But why they have to hang in this uh, there? I, I have no idea. So uh, it, it's very hard time for me. But you know how how struggled when you're 24, you really think the world is so profound. Then you know there's there's no possibility to to really penetrate or something. Talk about this project. So public art fund invited me to do this. For me, it's a bit difficult. I love the city but I don't want to make a sculpture in the city. So until later, I have concerns about borders, territory, you know, migration. Then I find this possibility to make some, something to talk about, to relate to current situation. Because I, I think it's interesting to do something uh, in relating to the architecture and the planning of the city, you know, so. It could be fences in, in relate to building facade or or some objects also take the city as a kind of ready-made to, to make some, uh, to deal it with its own history. And in New York, we all come as a, uh, our parents are all immigrant to the city or as refugees or as immigrants. So it's not difficult matter to discuss this uh, idea. And uh, the Public Art Fund liked this concept, so we started to work. And uh, I decided to work on many layers, from a bus stop, subway posters, to uh, light, how do you call this, light banners, or? Yeah, banners. laser cut, yeah. those laser yeah. cut banners. Yeah, 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 the laser cut is the technique we did, uh, we tried. And uh, with all those faces come from uh, prominent uh, refugees, Kandinsky or Einstein or a lot of poets and uh, musicians. Also images I took in refugee camps. So I passed year and a half, I, I got involved with a film, uh, The Human Flow. It's all about the uh, refugee situation globally. So in doing this film, I traveled about 23 locations or nations, 40 different camps 
interviewed about 600 people. We had about uh, 900 hours of footage. So we made this film. This film is going to be have its own public showing October 13th in New York. It's globally theater presentation. So it's different cities have different time to, to launch the film. And come back to, to this project, we have about 300 locations. Some are very small, some are quite large. Some are installations, some just uh, posters or a poster with image or with uh, poetry or statistics, all on refugee issues. So now it's in construction. It's going to be open on the October 11th. Right, and what you're seeing here is one of them under the arch in Washington Square yeah. Park, uh, under, <coughs> under construction, and Carol and I were there, and we were saying it was already very beautiful as the light went through, you could you know, read the, the gate in, in various ways, and there are these cutouts. The figures, the figures. you can walk through. Yeah, I, I, because I, I was architect, so... It's clear. Yes. It's clear, yes. <laughs> it's easy for me to make it, and uh, so my artworks, if anything goes wrong with architecture, I can tell them I'm an artist. Yes. <laughs> uh, so both ways, I'm uh, really profited by doing both architecture uh -huh. and as artist. Yeah. You know, I was, I was very struck by the gates that you put up at Cooper Union. We went also to Cooper the other yeah. day. When I was growing up in Brooklyn as a kid in New York, Cooper Union was the place where all immigrants, it was the school for immigrants. It was Peter uh -huh. Cooper's vision that it would be a school for people who would never get to go to school because he never got to go to school. So he built Cooper Union with that idea of an immigrant school. Mm -hmm. So it was always the most open place in the world. So I thought it was very interesting to see a very different kind of fence that, you're, that are being installed at Cooper Union because it mm -hmm. creates this really, you really have to think about what Cooper Union is. Mm -hmm. Like you really have to see it again. We were talking about yeah. that because it's an old building and just to relook at it with this notion that you can't get in. And it has always been the school that you could go. If you could get in, you could go for free. I like Cooper Union only for the reason I heard they used to have a very tough architecture program. Even by second year, if you're not good, the professor can just destroy your models and just say, get out of here. <laughs> and I, and somehow I liked it. I thought, this, this must be a good school, you know. Yeah, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm teaching in, in Berlin art school now. And students, uh, I have to be very courteous to my students because they, they were more like uh, professors. <laughs> and uh, if you push too hard, they start to cry. <laughs> so suddenly, I don't know what to do. You know, you have someone sitting there crying. <laughs> so I asked, I said, what happened to students today? They said, oh, you know, students are very liberal. So I, I read the dictionary. Liberal doesn't mean lazy. <laughs> But they are really lazy students today. <laughs> I really think, oh, how can you meet the real challenge? Maybe there's no challenge in the later life. Huh? But uh, it's, I think it's very difficult for a professor to teach today. And uh, you cannot really push too hard. And, and without pushing hard, why you become a professor? I mean, so it's very difficult. Wait, wait, can I ask you something? This was going to be my very last question, but since you're, we're here now, we'll just go with it. 
I thought it was so interesting that you were teaching, and I also thought it would be so amazing for students. But I was curious, what, what do you think students now, both in art and architecture, what, what do you think they need to know to go into this world, the way the world is now? First, I think the, the teaching, the whole education system is unbelievably long. You know, some are 25, 30 is still trying to get a degree, and, and I think you spend the, the best of your lifetime to, in school, which is much better place to learn than just being in a school. You know, even the school is in Manhattan, it's still, it's just still not enough information for, for young people to structure a real knowledge about what real life is about. So I think the, the teaching is, for me, it's just simply, it's too long, you know. The this, this schooling is too long, yeah. But also I think, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about a lot and actually between the School of the Arts and Architecture, today I think architects and artists need to work in across disciplines and with many different mediums and, mm -hmm. and almost design their practice. It's not so linear anymore. There's so much information. And, and so I, I do think that it's interesting that you've really expanded the kind of practice of like how an artist is or how an architect, I mean, you're building at the scale of an architect. And it's, 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 not, it, it's something that we try to teach, but it's, you're right, it's more something that you have to engage with um, in life. It's like life become a, a slow motion, you know, when you're in school, which uh, is so much, so different from the real life. My situation, of course, may not be a good example. I never learned architecture. I never learned, uh, well, like filmmaking, but it will not take so long to learn those things. I, I may need maybe three months or something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for both art, you know, architecture and the filmmaking. They, they're somehow related. Filmmaking are very much like architecture. Yeah. Everything is pre-designed and, uh, you know, you're also collaborating, you know, you have yes. a cameraman, you have, you know, lighting, you have makeup person and actor, actress. It's all, all being pre-designed or, or so architecture also practice that way. Yes. Yeah, so I think if you are your architects already, you should be a filmmaker at the same time. So why you have to, you know, I, I really don't understand, you know. Well, we, and uh, you, many architects, if you ask, they, how about uh, let's uh, cook dinner, they don't know how to cook dinner. Yeah. <laughs> but how, how can you be an architect not to know cooking dinner or, yeah. or, or to, yeah, or a, to make, you know. We, we bring ingredients together yeah, yeah. Right, to, to, to make yeah. something. One of the parts that I think for me, is really interesting in terms of the crossover as an artist and as an architect is how you deal with the question of scale and the, and the individual. We had a fantastic lecture last week at the school by um, this person called Roseanne Haggerty. She's trying to, she's developing housing for homeless people. And she found out, and it's scientific, that after a number of years that the only way to start opening up that problem is actually by knowing the names of every person who is homeless. So it's not this kind of grand umbrella, it's actually the specificity of the narrative and of the story and the, the granular scale of a person that can allow you to, to kind of deal with larger scale issues. You know, in your work, you know, it's always 
the, the singular part right, makes up these very large scale sort of projects. And, and as architects, we still struggle, right? I mean, we're building these huge cities that are yeah. often lack humanity and, and I, I exactly that's the words you know the measurement you know the proportion you know how people use it or you know you, you may get all the information but uh, if it's lacking of humanity then nothing is going to work so that's the problem of architecture teaching you have a lot of people understand those physical quality but rather to understand human life yeah. how people use it yeah, if you talk about refugees, of course they have been through war zone or famine. But when they come to Europe, I, I realize all they need is you pay some attention to them. But rather than put them in camps or to waiting for the policy or to, you know, to design their future. But rather to give them some recognition as a human being. And, uh, you know, it's just, it, they really need that little, you know, just they're very, uh, the people with dignity, you know, very strong dignity. And, and also, they're quite proud of people. And uh, to make this kind of effort to take this chance to, to go through this very difficult journey. And also, has no Future, you know, very few refugees can really learning the language or, or or not not talk about religion and all those habits. It's extremely difficult for them to really adjust themselves in, in a new condition. But I see many of them in Europe, even though they are being accepted, but people look at them very differently. That is very very not only not pleasant but also very dangerous because you, you, you're really trying to push those people away or to separate them, to, to say they're very different. Mm -hmm. Behind you, there are images of the pieces that you've made with all the life jackets that were saved from Lesbos after Syrian refugees. And I, when I saw these pieces first, I thought only an artist would think this way, mm -hmm. to take all of these abandoned life preservers and use them to actually communicate, use them as an image and as a metaphor. And here they are in the Kunsthaus in Berlin, and then you'll see them again in Copenhagen and in different configurations. But this is to Amal's point, to the particularity, to keeping it so specific, to, to try to make real for people the enormity of the situation. And I think you've struggled, it seems, because you've made so many different pieces trying to get at the enormity of it and also to keep the humanity of it. And I, I'm wondering, because you came to film, if the human flow is in some way a resolution for you of being able to bring together all of the elements that need to be talked about. Well, those projects I did is really just come to my mind like a second. Uh, because when you look at those uh, buildings from a from Renaissance time, you know, it all carries all kinds of meaning or values. And why those things being designed like that, and, and why it dominates our understanding about the building. So it's, it's somehow like a, a revenge, or want to do something bad about it. You know, but of course this is a reality. You know, we have this kind of culture conflicts, or all those conflicts, or religious conflicts, or aesthetic conflicts, moral conflicts in our real life. So. Those most ugly thing ever can, if I can call something ugly, 
those life uh, jackets, I would say is very ugly. I, normally, I don't use that words, but you know, because so many people are drowned in this uh, ocean, and you know, and many jackets is just uh, fake. It doesn't really floating. Mm. You know, all those things. But how can you illustrate all those feelings? It's very hard. I think it's a, it's not a easy. You know, you're not decorating a life, but you rather to say, hey. This is it, you know. You know, I, I feel quite ashamed even I look at those images because it, it tells so much about our today's humanity and, and the impossible even to, to find a solution, you know, for those people. I yeah. think, you know, one of the things that I know from, you know, our students is that they, they're, you know, in general, architects want to find a new way to engage and. I do think that this is an interesting time where, you know, if I think about the past decades in architectural education, there was a sort of division, especially in America, between form and content, you know, medium, meaning and the medium, and, and it was very frowned upon if you brought a narrative or meaning or, you know, if you brought all these things together, if you brought activism to a kind of architectural practice or if you brought politics. And yet, of course, architecture is completely embedded in power, right? I mean, your kind of lesson in perspective sort of demonstrates that. So I guess I think maybe, yes, you know, with every single monument. But I think this is really interesting as an architect to sort of make that declaration and then build beautiful studios, very simple, very brick after brick, and there's a kind of... So I think, I guess, to follow a little bit Carol's question, how do you, as architects or as artists, find a way to engage, and do you think that it's important to act almost, you know... I become an architect only because of one incident, I moved back to China in 1993, after 12 years in the United States. And uh, I tried to be a good boy to spend more time with my mom, and my father passed away three years after I moved back. Basically, I have nothing to do, and I, you know, as someone come back from New York, I, I still have that liberal tradition. I feel very comfortable doing nothing with just stay home. <laughs> My mom looked at me, you know, she's a typical Chinese. She's always proud of me, you know, I'm always good at school. She would never figure out why this, this boy come back, never graduate, never had a diploma. Or also, I have many things I, I don't have. I don't have American, you know, green card or passport. And I don't have, you know, too many things I'm missing. Uh, so one day she's kind of angry, said, uh, you, you should move out. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So I, I thought this gave me an opportunity to build a house of my own. So <laughs> <laughs> that time uh, to build a house is quite cheap. Uh, the, the building you're, you're seeing here, I, I made a simple drawing, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like childish drawing. And we, we spent about 30 days to build it. It's about $30,000. It's less than one year's uh, tuition of your, your guys. 
and uh, it's really beautiful in, inside. I try to make just one window, one door. You know, it's like a child make a little building before, but inside is much better looking, and uh, it's very nice lighting. And then it become uh, some kind of model in China because that time, the, all the developers trying to copy the Western style that they are doing is more like Renaissance time. You know, the architecture you really can. I think architects can ask more money by doing that because it seems being designed. If you make drawing like this, maybe they will kick you out and say, you know, what what is this drawing? So I become architects then. You know, I, I start to build for many many people and about sixty projects. Till later, I, I said I have to quit because I have enough of it. So. So if you want to be an architect first, you have to be kicked out by your mom. Yes. By your mother. So you become either homeless or build something. So. <laughs> this podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP in collaboration with Arc Daily. We launched a new series of podcasts called Constructing Practice, in which young architects from around the world speak about their motivations, challenges, and what it means to start a new practice in their respective context. Look for it on iTunes and find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.